Okay, welcome back to Before the Crow's Nest. It's been a minute. Um, I had originally said I'd be uploading a lot at once, and I uploaded a few, and uh, then I went on vacation, and when I came back, things had updated, like programs and operating systems, and I didn't have my audio files on a backup drive, and when I pressed play, they were all corrupted and just sounded garbled and terrible. So I'm doing it again. I have to record like four chapters all over again, which is fun. But yeah, let's go. Let's do this. I know there are some people who are still really interested in being able to give this a listen for uh, the inability to read it or download it on their devices for fear of family members finding it in the cloud or whatnot and all that. So uh, yeah, without further ado, here is chapter one, Patriarchal Blessings. First, a quote from the church website. We have been asked to remind you of the sacred nature of patriarchal blessings. Therefore, please bear in mind that the blessing should not be distributed or shared with those outside of your immediate family, including through electronic means, such as on social media, websites, or blogs. That's lds.org, patriarchal blessing, home, request a blessing or pb.churchofjesuschrist.org slash pb request. On the afternoon of June 10th, 2007, I was 18 years, four months, 16 days, three hours and six minutes old as I sat beneath the hands of my local Mormon guru. Claiming to have been called through a direct line of authority to God, a patriarch, additionally bearing claim to the only true holy priesthood on earth, gently laid his hands upon my head and proceeded to predict how terrific my life was going to turn out as I continued to follow faithfully our Lord and Savior. For anyone not privy to this peculiarly apt feature of Mormonism, a patriarchal blessing is, in its own way, the spiritual seat of Mormon solipsism. As a species, we are naturally solipsistic, but Mormonism, being a young religion and unquestionably, to some, a religion imbued with Christian tradition, manages to take solipsism even further in a few interesting ways. Not only is God concerned with your individual performance as an obedient disciple of his rule and authority, in so much that he provides ministering agents to help expel you of your sins and grievances, but he now wants to speak to you directly about it. Hell, he even wants to do it in detail. Only this once, though. Any further readings of this nature, and you must seek your local phrenologist. For that reference to phrenology, just a side note, uh, <clears throat> there's a footnote in the text. For the History of the Church, Volume 5, Chapter 3, page 2674, article titled A Phrenological Chart of Joseph Smith, the Prophet, by A. Crane, M.D., Professor of Phrenology. Give that a read. It's pretty interesting. You see, a patriarchal blessing is a one-stop dispensary of personalized spiritual and spiritualized real-world advice. 
it includes a declaration of lineage so that the receiver of the blessing may know more of their relation to the house of Israel and come closer to claiming and understanding the extension of the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the Abrahamic covenant. For some, you may think of a patriarchal blessing as a Mormon's horoscope. Only, I find that there are a handful of distinct differences between what a horoscope presumes to provide versus what a patriarchal blessing purports. For one, they clearly have unmistakable differences in intention and requirement. Horoscopes, I think, are not as sinister as patriarchal blessings for a number of reasons. For one, a horoscope can be written up by anyone, anywhere, and distributed through a multitude of desired platforms. This, of course, is done without any knowledge of, reference to, nor regard for anyone's particularly personal path through life. While horoscopes certainly do carve out nice mental spaces for solipsism, there resides an underlying generalization with which most anyone at any given time can find relevance for their personal life. Personally, I must consider the innumerable life situations that may be unraveling for any of the other Pisces, Libra, Tauruses who are also apparently out there in the world, and how the particular horoscope I read this morning may be more applicable to some of them instead of me. Not to mention that any recognition of the potential of the contents found within the horoscope are immediately altered by the recognition of their potential to be. Does not the mere mention that I may meet a new love prospect this week negate the inner workings of the fate at play? Or does the vague nature it offers simply mean that any one individual who happened to be born within a few weeks of me in either direction may instead be the one to meet a new love prospect? Certainly that's what the horoscope will have meant should I not meet someone this week. I must have consulted the wrong star chart. Additionally, I am not free to know the contents of every other horoscope there is to be found for a Pisces, nor which one of us is reading which version, all the while considering that it may be more relevant to some imagined me they have formulated in their head instead. The generalized manipulations of horoscopes, tarot cards, star charts, and anything resembling this type of cosmic claim to your life are simply and only that, a claim. And any level of acceptance to these claims, any feeling that the planets, stars, and the universe at large have your well-being and interests and desires in mind, is what it is like to be solipsistic. Credit where credit is due, however, the only qualification the universe has is that you be born. It doesn't care when or where you were born. The tools to deciphering its intention for you are at your infinite disposal. Just look up or consult your local newspaper or co-star. God and his blessings, on the other hand, are a different matter altogether. Conditional Blessings now, before I go into the details of the life God had planned for me, uh, the life God is so graciously letting me freely choose to live, I must address the elephant's trunk that is about to enter the room. You see, size, it matters. It matters to doorways that you're moving furniture through. It matters when you're balancing the ratio of meal to plate. It matters to insecure men. It matters to God, most definitely. 
Now, I don't mean to brag, but my patriarchal blessing is massive. A full two-pager comprised of 12 paragraphs and incredible detail for most major milestones I am expected to reach in this life. I know. I know. Don't believe me? Well, I mentioned the length and breadth here because the size matters crowd likes to stir up the toxicity. Those who receive blessings of surprisingly and disappointingly short length are often led to believe that they weren't worthy enough to receive more detail or guidance from their God, and this was their one chance to get it. Or that they aren't really meant to lead that much of an interesting life. God doesn't have much in store for them, so he just doesn't have much to say or provide for their lives other than to address the formalities. At times, some individuals aren't considered worthy enough at all to even receive their blessing. These are among several toxic examples of which I have learned. Any and all conclusions on the matter are, of course, absolutely ludicrous, as we shall come to see, and any anxiety or guilt that accompanies you because of this topic can now be dispensed. Go ahead. Let go. First and foremost, it was ingrained upon my Mormon identity that I was a faithful and valiant spirit child in my pre-existent life with God. This was a bit of a relief to me because I was under the impression I was rather a nuisance, always loud and always in trouble. At least before I was born, God thought I had my act together. Regardless, apparently I was sent here with pre-earth developed gifts and talents which are best utilized to spread God's word. Though it was already known to myself in the patriarch prior to the blessing, it was divinely confirmed by the voice of God, whose mouthpiece the patriarch is, that I was indeed blessed with gifts of music and theater. According to God, I could have been a rising star, a light in that difficult profession, shining the gospel as an example for all to see, in lieu of bleaching the gospel for all to read. The first notable item in my patriarchal blessing is one among many of my conditional blessings. There is a fundamental necessity to obey the laws and commandments of the Lord in order to receive certain types of blessings in the Mormon faith. In June 1958, the First Presidency precisely stated, quote, It being always made clear that the realization of all promised blessings is conditioned upon faithfulness to the gospel of our Lord, whose servant the patriarch is. Close quote. Honestly, recalling the first conditional blessing presented to me during my patriarchal blessing is something that often made me chuckle when I was younger. If I could simply learn to curb certain natural appetites and remember all of the rules set forth for my eternal salvation, the blessing, as well as the supposed inherent yet dormant gift promised to me was, quote, first, the gift of wisdom, wisdom even as that of Solomon of old, that you will make correct decisions and be wise in all that you do, close quote. Occasionally, I wondered not when the day would come that I'd have to suggest slicing a baby in half to suss out its true mother, but rather when I'd have opportunity of suggesting, with the wisdom even as that of Newman of Seinfeld, that my friend's bike be cut down the middle to prove its true ownership. I was next blessed with the gift of knowledge. Go me! Knowledge of God and his ways. Oh. 
But God, through the voice of the patriarch, also clarified that this applies to knowledge meant to carry you through your career and occupation. It was necessary to drop the specificities of knowledge here for a moment in order to save the patriarch and God's eternal asses, you know, should I not meet the standards and conditions to my caveat promised blessings. Sure, my pre-earth gifts and talents do reside in the realm of music and theater, but I can still gain knowledge needed in literally any other career and occupation should that whole rising star thing, like, not work out. There would be no doubt that the failure is some fault of my own making. Fingers still crossed, y'all. Regardless, and more importantly, I was blessed with a particular knowledge of the Spirit of God. Had I persevered and remained faithful, it was said that I could have been used by Father to bless the lives of others, as he saw fit, of course. Finally, had I chosen to properly utilize my powerful gift of radiating the gospel, a slew of specific good behavior-based blessings were promised, wherein I would be a towering example of spiritual strength as I go on to receive various callings to direct the affairs of the Lord's kingdom in my area. It has been promised to me that had these principles been manifest in my life, I would have been a great teacher and testified to others and touched them with my words. Like the nails through Christ's wrists, what is being fundamentally driven into my Mormon mind is that I am immensely capable of incredible things, but only if I am faithful. You see, you have to be willing to do as God commands in order to have any worth or capability. I could have been wise. I could have been knowledgeable. I could have been an apologetic contender but I've freely decided to type up some anti-Mormon literature instead. Privilege Privilege arises in many forms in the Mormon faith and is vastly ignored, perhaps even completely unseen within. The primary form can be found in those most lucky to have been born into the covenant. These were chosen and valiant souls from the get-go, we didn't have to search for the truth of God because it was simply always provided. Such remarkable circumstances we have. Privilege in Mormonism is inevitably collective, but it always starts with the individual. Inside a nearly lifelong anticipated declaration of covenant lineage is planted a mustard seed of privilege. Most Mormons I knew growing up assumed the revelation of which tribe of Israel they would be from, but the excitement and anticipation leading up to actually knowing, literally being told by God via some old proxy, and then allowing your Mormon self to claim it, that is a seed worthy of plucking. As for me, God revealed that I was foreordained to a noble birthright. My divine lineage stems from Ephraim of the house of Israel, of the tribe of Jacob. Had I continued to live a worthy Mormon life, I could have been blessed with Mormon truth, priesthood ordinances, exaltation, and eternal increase. I suppose one piece of advice I did take from this section of my conditional patriarchal blessing was to, quote, study what the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant are, for they are rich and powerful, close quote. Fortunately, I did study this, but only to discover the blessings are revolting and unfulfillable. 
One of the most destructive things a church can promote is the belief that they and their tribe have been promised something of temporal value over other human beings who simply believe and live differently. Health and Strength I was blessed with health and strength and was instructed to go forward without fear, for God will be with you and will guide and direct your life. The topic of my health and strength was one that did invoke fear. At the time of this blessing, I was four years into what has up to this point been a 17-year battle with inexplicable widespread chronic pain, which my closer friends back then had come to refer to as Schenefeld Syndrome. Thanks, Kellen. A quick side note, it's now been about 20 years, and just this year, I had it confirmed via the first blood test available uh, that it is fibromyalgia. had a very, very high probability that that is what it is, um, along with a handful of, I guess you'd say, comorbid you know, ailments. So, yeah, moving on. I was urged to avoid the evil things of the world in order that I may be blessed and strengthened by my radiating gospel power. The impelling circumstance of behavior and thought control is the nail through Christ's feet when it comes to this. The crux of the matter is, one of the primary sources known to Mormons on how to live, lead, and maintain a fulfilling and healthy life is by obeying the word of wisdom. Now, at this point, I had already been promised the gift of wisdom, and the word and I had been tight for years, so I was feeling pretty damn confident that if I avoided all Mormon illegal substances, that I would have the strength needed to get by with the body God gave me. With this knowledge, I can endure the ebb and flow of temporal suffering until the resurrection of my perfect pain-free body. After all, it is taught that should the disciple abide by their revelatory consumption guide, they shall have, quote, health in their navel and marrow to their bones, and shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, and shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. Close, close quote. When I was in the missionary training center, we were asked to bear our testimony about the word of wisdom. I had been instructed by God early on in my patriarchal blessing to bear my testimony more often because I could apparently truly bless others by doing so. So I took a vulnerable moment and I stated that I believed my decision to abide by the word even with potential pain-reducing substances among them, had already strengthened me. I testified that I had been able to keep clear my mental faculties for gaining key spiritual insights, and that the Lord, above all, already understood my constant burden of pain, and would one day take it from me forever. Needless to say, the vigor of that testimony lifted the spirits and testimonies of the Word of Wisdom for the district that night. For a moment, I was one of God's disabled inspirations. It would be another eleven years of abiding by this blathering bunkum before I braved the positively life-altering cannabidiol and cannabis cultivars of pain relief, as well as the deep wells of mental and emotional psychedelic relief. Taking my health and well-being into my own hands is among the best things I have ever done for me. Priesthood. 
With great priesthoods comes great responsibility. With great responsibility comes great expectation. Now, privilege of divine inheritance is the first step to power in the church and is one afforded to all who take upon them the name of Christ in Mormon fashion. But to truly level up privilege, one must pass through the stages of the priesthood. Sorry, ladies. Dicks only club. The stages of the priesthood, being the Aaronic, or Training Wills priesthood, and the Melchizedek priesthood, or the Greater Priesthood. Not much can really be said here regarding my personal call to the priesthood. I had already mastered my Training Wills priesthood by this point and was clearly aware I would be upgrading in the coming weeks. I received a standard spiel about how rich and powerful the priesthood is and that, you know, as I conditionally honor the divine ordinance, I'd be rich and powerful too spiritually at least. Admittedly, though, as a cis-hat white Mormon man, had I followed the proper trajectory, had I invested more time in eschewing Mormon history, had I hedged my bets and stayed in line, maybe, just maybe, and I'd still be donating 10% of my dimes. Fuck. Mission work. The amusing thing about the section of my patriarchal blessing covering my inevitable mission experience is the uncertain certainty of it. It says in a coming day I will receive a mission call, which wasn't all that revealing since my papers had already been sent to headquarters, so, you know, of, of course that happened. I was instructed to prepare now to serve and defend the faith. I need to prepare now to teach the gospel of Christ. As if I haven't been preparing for this my entire goddamn life? I was born into this privilege, baby! I was told that I am blessed with the ability to learn and understand a foreign language, as this opportunity will come to me at some time. The opportunity to learn another language doesn't necessarily have to be for my mission, you see, though rumor has it that the companionship of the Holy Spirit makes it easier. Quick side note, I'm like remembering, I don't know if this is true, but maybe if anyone listens to this, because I'll probably forget to look it up, but it's on my mind now, I was told once that like the US Army or some branch of the government, military, something or other, had gone to the MTC um, to like study and follow missionaries learning new languages to see how and why it was that we were able to do so so quickly um and and the result of course on our end was that well it's, it's that companionship of the spirit i think like underlying that's like why i worded that sentence that way this is complete side note like I'm, this is literally just hitting my mind now but anyway if anyone knows about this study and i don't do any other posts about it i may have forgotten about it and it helped me out see if it's real uh i'd be interested to see all the outcomes of that because it's probably just that they throw us into other countries and cultures and it's just anxiety and shock immersion like fuck i don't know what they're saying and it just hits you like that's my guess anyway moving on the opportunity to learn another language doesn't necessarily have to be for my mission, you see, though rumor has it that the companionship of the Holy Spirit makes it easier. 
but just in case the brethren don't send back my mission papers assigning me somewhere foreign speaking, they have to cover God's bases. Patriarch on third with mission calling general authority up to bat. Let's see how this goes. Can the adversary throw them a curveball? Let's find out. I was told this mission will be a high point in my life, so I'm assuming I'll have other non-high point missions. Lastly, I was informed that my mission will strengthen and deepen the testimonies of my entire family, and that it will serve as a uniting force on their behalf. This was poignant due to the existing family rift at the time. Nevertheless, God threw himself a fastball, forgetting about the body he gave me as he impressed upon the mind of the mission-calling authority that I am called to serve the kingdom on a volcanic archipelago. Instead of accruing blessings, I was sent hobbling back to home base in early disgrace. I did have to learn two foreign languages, though, so swing and a miss for the patriarch. Discerning the voice of God my ass. If I were to name the keystone of our Mormon psyches, it would have to be the eternal family. Without it, the structure and seeming necessity of everything supporting it crumbles. Growing up in the church, your mind gets molded around their concept of family very quickly. The constant proclaiming made it difficult to ignore that not only was the nuclear family I saw before me, one dad and one mom, ordained of God, it was what I should aspire to uphold. Following my mission, marrying a sweet young woman in the temple of our Mormon God was paramount for my eternal development, as it is for all returned missionaries. Four years after my mission, I had the unforgettable opportunity of meeting the most captivating individual I have met to this day. Engrossed in every possible thing I could come to learn and understand about her and every wonderful thing in which we could possibly share, I attempted to square circle my patriarchal blessings stated, opportunity to marry a sweet young woman in the temple of our God, as I married a former Mormon. I was not the first in my family to marry outside the faith, mind you, but this was an altogether new type of extreme for those most concerned about my eternal salvation. Nevertheless, God knows best, so clearly this meant that I have been presented with a second opportunity to fulfill my calling as a missionary while also making up for that promised uniting force on my eternal family's behalf. Step aside, Simone Biles. In this moment, many patriarchal pontifications could be dissected concerning the hopes and eternal dreams for my family, but it amounts to nothing more than a bullet-pointed list of guidance to indoctrinate our children through very much the same means as our own and the expectations to be spiritual examples of strength in our community. It's just easier to get to a more important point. I came to discover too late for my taste, but not too late in the grand scheme, that I had spent an incredible amount of my life shrouded in studying and achieving a myopic worldview. On top of this, I seemed to not only be missing crucial understandings of the true humanity and individuality of others, but of myself and my own well-being and function. My eternal family keystone was no more. 
The me who received this patriarchal blessing could have never imagined that 12 years later, he'd be learning more and more every day what it means to have a life well-lived without the gospel. Yet, I love, honor, and cherish my family without the need for the presence of God or a temple. We dedicate every day we have to loving each other and helping one another through our individual lives together. We study books and other forms of media worthy of much more contemplation than scripture, and in lieu of praying, we communicate, we act, and we support. The presence of God is an unnecessary object. Temple Work my patriarchal blessing says what any member would come to expect on the subject of temple attendance. It emphasizes ordinance work for the dead and offers a rare bit of admirable advice, which says to seek out and find these people beforehand. Indeed, one should ask for the dead's consent before renaming them and performing all manner of acts upon their soul. What if they don't want to go to your version of heaven? What? Was their predetermined Mormon spirit just asking for it? Get consent and start development on a resignations for the dead portal, please. The blessing defines the temple for me as a source of comfort and a refuge from the storms of the secular world where I would be able to obtain pertinent revelation to help guide and direct my life. Some of that knowledge needed for the Newman in me, you know? Fortunately, I happened upon the knowledge that the blessing of refuge from the storms of the world is overpowered by the refuge found in the arms of trusted living loved ones, and that the blessing of pertinent personal revelation can be obtained through the spectrum of practice of meditation and well-being. This refuge can be found within the walls of my own home, out somewhere in the vast wilderness, or even on a train commute or while driving. This is to say... Refuge can be found almost anywhere. I came to realize that coalescing with the natural flow of your thoughts and noticing the condition of your experience is immensely more empowering than sussing out the still, small voice. What remains when you are not distracted by deciphering personal thoughts versus the thoughts and impressions of the Holy Spirit is nothing but the rich experience of consciousness. Temple work functions as nothing more than a time-wasting tactic and a distraction from a life well-lived. Predicated Glory Near the close of my patriarchal blessing, I am reminded for about the nth time that all blessings we receive are predicated upon our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another reminder that, should I choose to obey, I will have first dibs on resurrection, finally shredding myself of this janky, pain-diseased mortal frame, as well as a blessed reunion with my obedient loved ones. Needless to say, it would appear that I have chosen outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Do you think there are dispensaries there? The patriarch next clarifies that God is pleased with my life choices up to that point, which can later be reinterpreted to actually mean he is pleased with my life up to any point, and that through him I can withstand any trials and challenges that may come my way. 
However, the most I can figure now is that Christ only serves as a source of faux motivation for faux beliefs, not as a source or well of truth and guidance. A reminder that I come from a noble parentage was next revealed, but now only seems to ring with the same sting of inducement found in the reasonable enough commandment to honor thy father and thy mother. Should I do so, I could potentially live longer upon this land which God has promised the tribe. As with all potential glory, however, this is also predicated upon my obedience to them. If we don't honor our fathers and mothers and go and do the things the Lord commands, well, then we're just no longer part of the promised plan. I'm reminded of a quote by the beloved Dallin H. Oaks. He said in an interview regarding the debate over same-sex marriage, quote, I can also imagine circumstances in which it might be possible to say, Yes, come, but don't expect to be a lengthy guest. Don't expect us to take you out and introduce you to our friends or to deal with you in public situations. That would imply our approval of your partnership. Close quote. Hopefully my celestial loved ones are awarded visitation rights to the darkness so that we may still see each other from time to time. In the closing of my patriarchal blessing, I am told that there is much that God expects of me as I move forward with my life, but that I have been blessed richly in advance. Many cryptic blessings, which have remained unmentioned, will bless my life should I decide to touch not the unclean things of the world. How many lives have been gaslit and misguided since the commencement of this tradition? This I cannot say, and almost dare not wonder. As for the potential paradisiacal life my patriarch painted for me that bright June afternoon, its existence, then and now, is much like God's, dismissed without evidence.